Let's dive right into it. Our monthly Talk to the Mayor segment. And joining us by phone again this month, Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Mayor, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Jim. Hopefully next month we'll be in studio together. Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting point. I, I, I We hadn't really contemplated that yet. We've gotten so used to everything being kind of locked down. But, of course, we do have a reopening plan from the governor. By the end of this month, we could be moving on into phase three with a few more businesses reopening. So let me start there. Let's get your reaction to the reopening plan put forward by the governor this week. Uh, does it go far enough? Does it go fast enough? Well, I think uh, it's a step in the right direction, which we appreciate uh, two aspects. One is the phase-in approach. I think uh, that approach makes sense, from a, especially on the regionalization. So we appreciate uh, them taking a look at that and modernizing it uh, to what's impacting different areas of the community uh, throughout the state of Illinois. So from that aspect, I think it's a good approach. And I think, you know, Number one is it's an emergency health pandemic. Uh, we need to make sure that we stay focused on that. And I think the governor is going to weigh all the measurements according to that. I think they're looking on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And as we move along, if something makes sense, I think they will make the adjustments uh, so we can make sure that we keep the public safe. And then uh, also, you know, hopefully uh, provide more services as we move along, because bottom line is we want to move forward. We don't want to take steps backwards. And so it's very important that we all remain as compliant as possible with the social distancing and now wearing the mask and washing the hands and not forgetting uh, what got us here. So we keep moving forward and not backwards. Some communities have already said they're going to reopen faster than what the governor said, allow bars and restaurants to reopen sooner. The earliest we could see restaurants open up for dining in here is the end of June at best. Have you given any thought to trying to move faster than what the governor's plan lays out? Well, we're going to adhere to the governor's order. One thing that it's been proven throughout this whole situation, it is a fluid process day to day. And uh, the governor is listening to the mayors throughout the state of Illinois. Uh, so, you know, I've provided information and uh, not just saying, oh, we need to do this. Uh, I've been in contact with business owners and the Chamber of Commerce. Chris Umbro has been very helpful in that regards and trying to outline how they would open it up or how they would uh, keep the social distancing and offering more services. So I relay that information through my contact with the governor's office. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. And so... Uh, they are listening, and if it does make sense, uh, for instance, with restaurants, uh, you know, is there a way that we could uh, open it up a little bit sooner, uh, maybe 25%, and then uh, in June, uh, could that be a possibility? Who knows? I think time will tell. The bottom driver or the driver in all this is going to be making sure there's not a increase of coronavirus cases, and so... Uh, and more importantly, no deaths or no increases of that, and how do we move forward? And that's why the compliance part is very important with regards to that. Uh, but we will take a look at, you know, on a weekly basis, how we can uh, what makes sense and provide information to the governor's office as much as possible, moving that direction. Obviously, the clock is running, though, on a lot of small businesses in this community. Uh, Alderman Redpath on the air a couple of days ago said he feared that 30 to 40 percent of businesses in the community may not reopen their doors. What what are you hearing and what are you fearing in terms of that this might force some businesses out of business for good? Well, that's always the possible, real possibility. I think that's why the federal government took uh, quick action with the 
protection payment program, which we appreciate. And that gets them, I think, through the month of May, at least, uh, keeping people employed and moving that direction. But uh, we're taking a look at that ourselves. What can we do from a local level on the Community Development Block Grant Award that we received? I think it was $799,000 that Congressman Davis announced. Uh, so we actually have a public uh, comment tonight. If someone wants to zoom in, they can uh, offer their comments tonight as well as, uh, you know, as the city council considers it. And then also next Thursday, we'll do that, how to spend those resources for business support. I think the other aspect is rent and mortgage assistance if needed, uh, moving in that direction. But there is a great impact, not only from the business community, all throughout our community with regards to coronavirus and how do we mitigate that as we move forward. Uh, because right now it's uh, kind, of, uh, kind of just trying to stop uh, the impact as much as possible. But the other aspect that you're pointing out is what's the recovery? How many uh, businesses will have to shutter? Uh, we've already heard of, uh, you know, American Harvester and uh, some others. So uh, we want to mitigate that as much as possible, and we'll continue to try to maximize our resources to uh, uh, mitigate that. Since you brought it up, let's talk about that uh, Zoom uh, public uh, hearing that's going to get underway actually at 5 o'clock this afternoon. People can view this on cable channel 18, the city's channel. It's available online as well. And it's to get public input and discussion on, as you noted, nearly $800,000 in community development block grant money. How, In general, how is that money supposed to be used? And, and are you contemplating any ideas already? Obviously, you're getting input from the public too, but what are you thinking? about how that money could best be spent? Well, as you know, or heard maybe, uh, we started off with uh, a food bank, $100,000 to the food bank, and that was probably maybe even a month ago when we first received it. At that point in time, uh, HUD allows for uh, the dollars to be spent uh, towards COVID-related expenditures or the impact to mitigate it. Uh, it's a rare occasion. Uh, they uh, awarded it, and it, it goes with our consolidated plan just to give the uh, listeners a, kind of a background, we receive community development block grant funds, uh, CDBG funds, every year on an annual basis. And so we have a plan, a five-year plan. Ours is coming up actually this year, and we're gearing it more towards businesses just because of the coronavirus and housing, of course. Uh, so you have to have that plan in place. That's what the hearing is for tonight, uh, or the comment for tonight, is to amend that plan for these resources that we're receiving. So with that, the food bank was one aspect uh, because of the potential food shortage, which now we're seeing. And what we're trying to do in this whole pandemic, look ahead. What are the what-ifs that uh, we need to get ahead of the curve? And that's one area that we had gotten ahead of. The other one is uh, with regards to business uh, support activities. We did have an economic uh, community development uh, council meeting where we discussed it, and they weighed in on the aspect of support. Uh, there'll be a partial grant and also a loan, a low interest rate loan program that we're working on. And then the other uh, piece would be with regards to um, rental assistance. Right now, uh, the governor rightfully so uh, stepped in at early on, which was very beneficial and prevented any utilities being cut off and anybody being evicted because of a loss of employment due to the coronavirus. And that was a big step. Otherwise, we'd have a, a greater, more serious uh, issue to deal with, with people being displaced. So we are providing a renter assistance 
associated with those dollars as well. So anybody can comment on that. Um, I think the last piece, I believe, is with regards to medical services or uh, other incidentals that might come up uh, that we're, you know, kind of unforeseen at this point in time. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder is with us here this afternoon on News Talk 94.7 and 970 WMAY. Mayor, obviously the, the prospect of losing that many businesses is devastating to those business owners, to their employees, but it has an ongoing ripple effect for the city too because each one of those businesses represents tax dollars that won't be coming into the city. We already know we're going to see a multi-million dollar hit to the current fiscal year budget. Uh, I know you've talked about this some in the past, but uh, can you offer any more detail as to how you are adjusting the budget going forward. You have talked about the possibility of furloughs. Is that imminent? Have you already set the wheels in motion to uh, to seek uh, employee furloughs? And how quickly might we see layoffs in city government? Well, what we're doing is uh, I've asked all the directors to take a look at uh, how they provide services you know, to the future. That's what uh, we're looking at. It's been thrust upon us. So uh, how do we modernize, become, I think you brought it up yesterday. I was listening in about a, why do you need a hundred copiers? You know, we should be getting more paperless. Well, <clears throat> we are moving towards that direction. Uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh, same with checks, writing checks. I think checks are going to be a foregone conclusion after this. But uh, in answer to your question, the directors are looking at each various departments, kind of prioritizing their projects or activities. And then from that, uh, we'll also take a look at not only the cutting of the budget uh, with regards to, uh, you know, uh, we did different scenarios. I think it was 5 8 10%. But the other side, that what we're looking at is reshaping government. How do we deliver those services? Uh, you know, uh, there's a way we can do more shared services, uh, kind of tear down the Barriers within own city operations don't departmentalize as much and see uh, where we can have cost savings uh, with that, not filling vacancies, uh, there'll be retirements, how does that work, um, uh, and what, you know, how much of a savings that is. But the the real driver is the sales tax revenue, as you mentioned, uh, which we definitely will take a hit. The other side of it is the unknown is the state of Illinois. So they're, I think they said they're looking at possibly a $2.7 billion hit. Uh, does that transcend to any uh, revenues we would receive? Uh, so we'll be watching the legislature as they come back and try to resolve their issues to make sure that they uh, that it doesn't impact us uh, as we move forward. But uh, could furloughs, could layoffs be part of that? Um, without a doubt, it could be part of that. So first and foremost, we want to take a look at our operations, how we compare things back uh, with those other activities and reshape government and how we deliver services to the future and then make a determination of uh, the uh, personnel impact. But there will be personnel impact. I isn't that inevitable at this point? Uh, yeah, I would say for at some point in time, there will be. Alderman McMenamin was on the air with us a couple of days ago. He said, for example, why do we need all the employees we have at the Convention and Visitors Bureau when right now we don't have any conventions and very few visitors? Why do we need to keep the full library staff on when the library is closed? Uh, any reaction to that? Well, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, one of the ways the city is structured is with regards to other resources of funds, like you pointed out, hotel, motel, tax dollars. Uh, could those be diverted to something else? Uh, possibly. But right now, they're a kind of a self-funded department uh, through the hotel, motel, tax dollars. Actually, there's uh, um, resources that they've planned for a rainy day to themselves 
previously in case the state of Illinois didn't have a budget, and that's helped in that case. And in this case, it will help with the pandemic. But the importance of Convention Visitors Bureau, you know, right now we're going through National Travel and Tourism Week. But uh, when this lifts or what, you know, what we need to do is try to market Springfield, get uh, people to come to Springfield. That's one of our main economic drivers with regards to revenue resources. So when uh, things do open up, one of the main drivers is with regards to visitors coming to visit Lincoln's home, Lincoln's tomb, things of that nature, Route 66. So uh, that doesn't go away. You need that arm of the community to promote Springfield in that positive light uh, with regards to that. So uh, they're self-sufficient uh, with regards to that. What they have they been doing is trying to save or reschedule conventions as much as possible. Uh, the leisure travel will be the one that will get us through this summer as we move forward uh, so we can market uh, like they have done, like I think it's a 200-mile radius of drive time. I believe it's like 80% or over 80% of the people that travel will be doing so by car, you know, but just because the airlines, people are kind of avoiding that. So we could become that day trip or weekend trip destination uh, as we move forward, and it's important to have that piece being told, and they do a great job with Scott Dahl, uh, the director Dahl and Amy Beadle and others there uh, working to promote Springfield and saving what we have and moving forward to book other arrangements or uh, schedules. Uh, with regards to library, that's a service that, you know, now when there's a pandemic going on, that's a service that people do appreciate uh, even remotely. Uh, they can do um, e-library services, things of that nature. So uh, I think it is going to change the uh, way we deliver services, library services in the future, you know, the brick and mortar aspect, how do you engage the public as much as possible? So that's going to be a changing dynamic. What that looks like in the future, only time will tell. But uh, we have taken uh, steps to be more of a public center uh, as opposed to the traditional library that people think of where you go in and check out books. Now it's uh, more of a gathering place. It's uh, how we learn about each other's cultures, ethnicities, and it's uh, kind of a learning center. So it will be reshaped uh, what that looks like in the whole dynamic time will tell. You had some big plans for 2020, particularly downtown, parking meters, traffic signals, changing one-way streets to two-way streets. Does that all have to be put on hold now because of the financial uncertainties for the city? Well, the uh, part of that is with the light structures, infrastructure downtown, that's not going to change because it's wearing out. The meters are wearing out. So those are initiatives that have to be taken a look at. So those are something we cannot uh, just say, okay, we're not going to deal with it. That's something that you'll need to deal with. And in the long run, um, you know, you don't want to be penny-wise, pound-foolish. And so we'll take a hard look at it with the traffic signals. Uh, those were supposed to be modernized uh, to become more accessible, you know, for people that can't see or hear, uh, or hear, uh, see rather, uh, you'd be able to navigate yourself throughout downtown. Uh, so as we move them out with regards to one way to two ways, this was the uh, perfect opportunity to make that happen because the cost differential wasn't that great. So really what it comes down to is uh, the alderman will have to vote on it. I think it comes down to what type of city do we want to become? And so that's what everybody should be asking themselves. Uh, you know, what kind of business am I going to be in the future? What kind of government or city are we going to be in the future? And so, you know, uh, that's one aspect that we'll have to take a hard look at. And I appreciate the uh, city council members that supported the ShotSpotter initiative. That was a step in the right direction for technology because it will save the police time. And how do we move forward to that technological phase 
in our lives and making sure that we can provide services to the public. And that's one aspect of that uh, type of initiative. I want to come back and talk about ShotSpotter coming up. Before we go uh, to news, real quickly, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker yesterday said it is highly unlikely we'll have an Illinois State Fair this year. Uh, what was your reaction to that news? Well, um, I was hoping there would be some pared-down version. Of course, uh, the rides, the games, the concerts, uh, you know, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, is there a way to have the uh, auction of champions in some way, um, maybe Zoom fashion or something, to, you know, at least uh, provide that highlight for the students that worked hard through ag through the whole year? Uh, you know, the butter cow could be an exhibit, or can you quadrant off the fairgrounds to have some type of displays and really embrace the agricultural aspect? Uh, because right now, with this pandemic, it could be a great opportunity to teach. Uh, you know, our children or our uh, others within our community and throughout, you know, Illinois, not at a, it all depends on the social distancing, of course, but it could be a great opportunity to teach them the importance of agriculture, especially with the food shortage. And, you know, that's through the meat processing, processing plants and how we can't get food to the delivery services. So I think uh, hopefully they take a look at that aspect uh, downsize it, scale it back. Uh, is there an opportunity through technology to at least share it uh, through video or, you know, with people that could visit? Can Is that a possibility? So hopefully they do take a look at those aspects and see if uh, it can be an opportunity because from a morale aspect, I think that's helpful. It shows that we're uh, moving somewhat towards the future, but uh, it keeps things uh, moving ho- in a hopeful experience, uh, even though it would be a downsized version uh, going that direction. But time will tell, I think, uh, with that whole, uh, with the fair, it'll definitely be a hit with our economy, as everybody knows. Uh, but it's important that uh, we do keep everybody safe. And if we can do so responsibly, we should try to do that pared down version, if at all possible. Mayor, you brought up the shot spotter technology approved by the Springfield City Council this week. Uh, the big complaint against it from the three aldermen who voted no was not that they had a problem with uh, having the system, but with uh, committing the city to a three year plan with a quarter million dollars in each of the next two years at a time when we have no idea what our budget's going to look like in those years to come. Uh, based on that alone, it, was this an advisable move to make given the fiscal uncertainties we're facing? Well, uh, yes, we did. Uh, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, the reason for that, we did uh, go back to ShotSpotter um, and talk to them about uh, renegotiating the contract proposal. And uh, they came down $195,000 in association with that. And of course, uh, the reason we went for the first year at 75000 is to lessen that brunt, and then the remaining payments would be spread out equally, as you pointed out, in year two and three, which is significantly higher, but the savings is still there. Uh, we will still pursue grants or uh, the participation by private sector, if at all possible, uh, to try to bring that cost down. But really, as we move forward with the coronavirus, the big, uh, you know, the greatest aspect is illness to people and uh, the cause of death, tragically. And uh, with gunfire, that's something that we incur every, each and every day uh, with, uh, you know, the loss of life. So this is the right move uh, from a different aspect and giving the police men and women of our uh, Springfield Police Department the tools they need to respond. So it actually helps them to go into a dangerous situation, knowing what's happening before they get there. They'd be able to respond in moments of time. And um, they get their faster saving time in the long run and hopefully apprehending 
individuals that are part of the gun violence in Springfield. I take it you've seen the Illinois Times article suggesting that some cities where this has been installed, they've now uh, basically walked away from this and said it does not work as well as it is advertised. How confident are you this is really going to make a difference, particularly when, again, you, you still got to get officers to a scene. They still got to find somebody there. They often still need cooperation from witnesses, and we know that's been hard to come by. Well, that's the the latter part's the greatest point of that because we can get there expeditiously. Um, you know, uh, I've had individuals that know me that, uh, you know, heard something. They thought it was gunfire. They weren't sure. And so, you know, time's wasted with uh, five, ten minutes when they decide to call in. And so the police will be notified immediately of that happening. But uh, in answer to, you know, Bruce Russian does a great job of uh, doing the, you know, the investigative reporting, which we appreciate. I think that holds everybody's feet to the fire. Uh, some of the information was, I think, back in 2012, maybe uh, more recent, I think 2018, possibly 2019. But Chief Winslow reached out to uh, some of those communities and uh, they were, there's a, uh, you know, different items that they were addressing, uh, and some were retaining the services of ShotSpotter and spoke highly of it. So as we move forward, we had that discussion uh, with ShotSpotter. Uh, we told them about the article. We sent it to them. And that's one thing, I guess, if I would have done the city council meeting over again, I would have had them give the presentation because they were set to answer uh things that were brought up in the article. So from that aspect, we should have taken the time to educate the public, educate the city council members, and, uh, you know, really do that comparative analysis on what, uh, you know, was brought up in the Illinois Times, and uh, we'd be able to answer some of those questions. And so we may invite them back, or we may just put it as part of a cable access as an educational piece so we can educate the public on the true value of ShotSpotter and what it, how it will help us be another tool to keep our community safe in the long run. Another law enforcement question, seeing a lot of social media discussion, and I had a, a question uh, sent to me from a listener inquiring about a surveillance camera that's apparently gone up at uh, Second and Capitol. We know that's been the scene of some of the uh, protests in uh, the last several weeks against the, the governor's stay-at-home order. Why is there a camera at that particular location? What's the purpose of it? Well, I think it, the purpose was, as you pointed out, probably because of the protest, uh, you know, keeping it an eye on things, uh, you know, making sure they don't escalate to a situation uh, with the coronavirus. One of the things, the challenges uh, as we started out is keeping your workforce safe. Uh, what other communities have uh, been impacted by are the first responders falling ill, and then you have a depleted uh, workforce. So we don't want that happening. As you know, that's um, uh, unfortunate. But uh, again, with protesters, if you're trying to get your point across, what you should be doing is saying, hey, I can be responsible. I can uh, be compliant. I want uh, businesses opened, and they should be wearing their face mask or keeping social distance at least. And then that would give the point across to the governor a more effective way as opposed to the way they do. So if we have to go in there, now that puts our police officers at risk if one of them are infected. And so that's the uh, reason for the camera system to make sure you can keep a perimeter surveillance of that area uh, to make sure things don't get out of hand. Is that camera going to be there permanently? Uh, I would leave that up to, uh, you know, police chief Kenny Winslow, as far as that goes, uh, whatever's needed as far as security, keeping our public safe. That's rule number one. How do you keep your community safe? Uh, that's job number one. And so uh, I'd leave it up to his expertise and recommendation.
A couple other uh, things that were pretty high on the agenda before uh, the pandemic hit. We haven't heard much about it recently. One is the talk about annexing Grandview. Have, have those discussions just ground to a halt in light of the, the new situation? Well, they've, uh, the discussions, uh, we did get information from Grandview. We need to pour through the information. So uh, Direct McCarty, of course, has other things happening. Uh, but we are going to uh, take a look at it, hard look at it. We're going to come forward with the initiative. And uh, as we started out, if it makes sense, that's something that we will continue to pursue and move in that direction. Uh, UIS and a possible downtown university presence. Have you heard anything more about that in recent weeks? Uh, not recently, uh, but now's the time to really uh, move the ball forward, so to speak, because uh, uh, the unfortunate thing is with Chancellor Cook, uh, I think she's retiring at the end of June. We can't thank her enough for what she's done in growing the university uh, with the student union, and it goes far beyond that. Uh, how she's really stabilized and grown that area. But uh, that is a little bit of a setback with her retirement. But I was on a uh, call with uh, President Clean, and he is expressing, um, you know, how do we move forward, uh, especially in the, uh, uh, you know, the current situation. And that's one area I did express is, you know, uh, we would like to move forward with that presence uh, because I think that's going to be a game changer with regards to downtown. I think it will help the university in the long run and how that all uh, brings our community together collectively would be, uh, you know, that's a unforeseen or unknown uh, commodity that uh, needs to definitely be pursued. As we all know, it's been wanted for decades and uh, we shouldn't slow up uh, uh, because of the current situation that we're in. Let's move on to City Water, Light, and Power. Uh, of course, we had a fire that badly damaged uh, one of the Dolman generators back in November. Uh, at least one worker was disciplined. Last we'd heard, there were several others who were contesting discipline. Anything new on that front? Well, it's going through the process. There's a process when they uh, contest uh, the disciplinary action. So hopefully we'll have the final resolution within, uh, you know, within a month so we can uh, move forward uh, with regards to that. Uh, and Dolman, just to uh, uh, springboard off that, Dolman 33 is being repaired currently, and it's my understanding it should be back online uh, in June. Uh, I, I'm uh, my next question because we're planning to retire, uh, you know, uh, 31, 32, 33 uh, in the not too distant future. So, did we need to have the expense of bringing that back online, especially when we might see demand dropping, given what's happening in the business community and, and elsewhere through Springfield? I think uh, people have asked that, too. You know, they hadn't seen their units running. Why is that? Uh, because of the depressed market with, you know, the economy shutting down. So does the usage with regards to electricity. So uh, it's lowered quite a bit uh, below what we could generate. Uh, now Dolman 4 is running. So uh, with 33, what that gives us is, um, you know, uh, the assurance of a supply of energy. Uh, what we do have to, before we bring down 33, is build out the infrastructure grid, uh, you know, with regards to being able to import as much power as possible during peak times. You know, so when we hit the peak loads, uh, especially with businesses, uh, you have to be able to supply that. So uh, that, I believe, is about a year process to um, make that complete, and we're in the uh, middle of that. 
Uh, speaking of uh, the utility and revenues and things, you, you mentioned that part of uh, the response to helping people with the financial challenges of this was that uh, utilities were not going to shut off people's power for non-payment. I know City Water, Light, and Power adopted that same policy. And with businesses shut down, have we seen a pretty dramatic drop in, in revenue coming into City Water, Light, and Power from either just less usage or people not paying their bills? Uh, not a significant one. Uh, of course, you uh, you know we do that in the winter time, so it's not a misnomer or something new to the utility uh, because we have that rule in place. Uh, especially in the winter time, you're prohibited from doing that. But of course, this is prolonged. And uh, as we move through this, individuals will still have to pay the bill. So we'll work with individuals that uh, you know fall on tough times and. Uh, don't have the capacity to pay right now. Uh, there, you know, could be financial resources grants available through either Capital Township or Community Resources or CWLP. So there are some avenues to help uh, pay for those bills, uh, but they don't. They're not erased. It's something that uh, is expected to be paid. But uh, right now, I would have to check on the dollar amount. I think the greatest. Uh, impact is, of course, with regards to the drop of the market, and so uh, with regards to usage in general. Mayor, a couple of more uh, items related to the virus. Last time we spoke to you on the air, you were on the morning show. There was a question about use of Lake Springfield, and you indicated that some of the uh, uh, city's policies for uh, being out on the water were still being developed. Uh, the state at its uh, the lakes and, and state parks and things has limited to two people uh, per boat. What's the city's take? on this? Um, I did uh, confer with the state. Uh, we have a partnership with Department of Natural Resources, and so we uh, do follow the state guidelines uh, associated with it. It does fall under, fall under the governor's emergency order. Uh, with regards to that, I have expressed, you know, with regards to families, you know, I uh, view it like if you're driving around in your car, if you have families living on one roof, why can't they boat together? Uh, so they are taking that in consideration. The boating season really doesn't kick off uh, formally until uh, Memorial Day weekend. So hopefully we'll have, um, you know, uh, I think a more practical solution at that point in time. But again, I think it's uh, going to be driven on uh, the compliance right now. That's why it's so important that everybody does their part of keeping the social distancing because there's no vaccine. Uh, the only way that we stop the spread is through social distancing. Uh, so, but we will continue, or I will continue to push for the voting for uh, up to, I think it was how I wanted it, was six individuals within the same family, of course, under the same roof. Uh, that they would be able to enjoy the Lake Springfield together. Uh, there wouldn't be any swimming because that, you know, uh, leads to congregations of people that you want to avoid. Um, we uh, also, uh, I'm sorry, I <laughs> lost my train of thought here for uh, for a second. Um, uh, well, I wanted to ask about Hunter Lake. Uh, was one uh, one question? Is is that now? Is that idea on hold indefinitely? Because again, of so much uncertainty related to all this. Well, actually, I have, have an ongoing meeting set up with the uh, Army Corps of Engineers uh, colonel uh, just to get updates right now. The status is uh, we're doing a recreational report the University of Illinois, uh, and once that report, it's looking at that aspect of need within our community, uh, that will give us a clear direction of the alternatives. Right now, it's just down to uh, Springfield and uh, or Hunter Lake, rather, and the Havana Pipeline. Uh, with the recreational aspect, that's what they're uh, doing their uh, part with regards to 
uh, vetting that particular piece of the equation. And finally, uh, facial coverings. We are still under that part of the state's order that says you should be wearing a mask or a face covering when you're going out in public. We know that there has been some rebellion against this and some people resisting this. Have police been called in at all to, to try to enforce this or to back up stores wanting to make sure people are following this? What kind of compliance are we seeing out there? Well, uh, you know, I, I view it, uh, you know, I ask people when they go out to stores or if I'm out to the store, you kind of notice. Uh, I think compliance, uh, people are getting more compliant. Uh, I think we're creatures of habit. I think as time goes, we will continue to do so. We are getting calls from businesses of individuals that uh, aren't adhering to it. Uh, so that's an aspect that right now it's just like, uh, you know, uh, the signs should say no shirt, no shoes. No mask, no service, but that's up to the businesses. As long as you can keep that social distance, uh, that's the real key factor. But uh, they should wear face coverings. And really what that's for is so you don't infect others. It's not necessarily to protect yourself. It's so you don't infect others. So um, and Mayor, you know, I'm people sorry, should be I'm, cognizant of that. I'm out of time. Appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jim. Have a great day.